The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. It's good to be with you, Springs Church and visitors. I want to thank you so much for choosing to join us this morning. We're really, really glad that you're here with us. If you are tuning in on the live stream, I want to thank you for watching as well. Um, not only do we live stream all of our services, by the way, just by way of reminder, we also have a sermon podcast. Uh, so if you need to go back and catch up on the last three years of sermons, <laughs> you can do that. And you can find that on our website. There's a link if you go to thesprings.cc slash messages, and then if you click listen, um, or if you just search for the Springs Church Podcast. You can catch up on the last three years of sermons, or especially the last three weeks of sermons, as we have all of our Christ and Crisis testimony sermons already uploaded up there. So if you missed any of these amazing stories that we've already heard, I, I hope you'll take a minute to catch up on that. We are blessed this morning to hear from our very own Jason and Dara Henley. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear from them. Uh, many of you know them, know them well, know their story well. They've been here at the Springs for 16 years now, which is fantastic. And they're an amazing couple, amazing family. They're boys, Carson and Logan, and uh, just an, an incredible um, work of God in their lives. And so I'm excited for you all to hear from them, to hear their story, uh, the story of crisis in their lives uh, centered around their marriage and infidelity and just the way that God has worked powerfully, his healing and salvation and grace in their lives. I hope you'll be listening this morning for his spirit speaking through them a word from him. And so I want to invite Jason and Dara to come on up, and I'm going to go ahead and pray for us uh, before we begin together. Lord Jesus, I praise you so much for your servants, Jason and Dara. And I just praise you for uh, your powerful grace that pervades this couple, this room, this church, Lord. That grace that reaches us and saves us and redeems us. I thank you for the powerful story that you are writing in their lives and the story of your salvation that you continue to write through them as your instruments for your kingdom and ministers of your reconciliation. God, give us courage and candor and strength and all the grace that we need to speak uh, powerfully the word that has been planted in us and that speaks from us. We praise you, Lord Jesus. You are our, um, our great love, our foundation, and it is your faithfulness that sustains us. It's in your powerful name we trust and pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, give us a little bit of backstory. Um, take us back, uh, not only just backstory from your lives, but backstory leading up to uh, the crisis in your lives, the events of it, and um, yeah, just kind of take us back to the beginning and give us the broad strokes this morning. Okay. It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> I think I got the wrong notes. You know, 
Uh, we met before, um, right before our 16th birthdays, and um, our high school sweethearts, all the way through, through high school. And um, I found out that I was pregnant with Logan when I was 19, and uh, so we decided that the thing to do would be to get married and um, continue that journey together. So we got married in November of 1999, and um, it was hard. Um, Marriage is hard. (laughs) We um, had little crises along the way, um, job losses, um, just things that, um, you know, marriages go through, but we were young and when we started, and so we, we grew up together. Um, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary um, with a vow renewal because we just thought we're, we, went, we made it to 10. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> and uh, we thought we had been through a lot in the first 10 years. Um, little did we know what the next 10 years would bring. Um, our first um, major crises probably happened um, in May of 2011 when I received a call from my youngest sister that um, my middle sister had um, possibly um, had a stroke. And so she called and I was in my house and I wondered wondered everywhere and just didn't, I had no no idea what to do. Um, Wandered from room to room. Nobody was even there. And I thought, man, if you had a camera up here, (laughs) you'd think I was crazy. Going from room to room, figuring out what to do, figuring out where to to go. Um, So I went, I got my mom, and we rushed to Dallas, which is where my middle sister lived at the time. Um, And uh, she um, passed away three days later. Um, didn't didn't make it through, so that was um, that was our big first major crisis of our marriage, um, and she had just turned twenty nine. That uh, that beginning of that summer, when <coughs> Dara's middle sister passed away. It was extremely difficult. The first time that I had s- sat close to somebody who was grieving, who was going through a loss. Um, my dad, I watched him closely when his dad passed, but my dad didn't share. I, d- I wasn't that close to him to see this side of grieving. Mm-hmm. When, when Krissa passed, the weeks after that, I didn't know what to do with her. I mean, she wasn't the same. Um, She was quiet. Um, You never knew what was going through her head at that time. So I was, I didn't know what to do. Um, I wanted my my Dara back. Uh, So as time went on, and as a guy, I wanted to fix it. She can't be fixed. Um, And the grieving process wasn't wasn't something that I could adapt and change to either. So I found myself drifting um, apart from Dara relationally. Uh, I happened to um, hang out with the guys at work a little longer. 
Um, I was found myself just tend to be isolated a little bit more. Um, the music that I listened to was different. Um, there was uh, there was more just secret stuff going on. Like I, my own world was my world. It wasn't a shared world anymore. There was a distance. Mm. There was a wall being built between us. And uh, I found myself drifting a little bit farther and a little bit farther. But I didn't know what to do. We weren't adapting well. We weren't connecting well at the time. Um, so I started to notice some smiles a little bit more on my route. Um, a little bit uh, ladies noticing that they were looking to see if I was married, looking for my wedding ring. You were at UPS at I the was. time, right? Yeah. I was. I was a delivery driver. Um, so I was in and out of a lot of places. I saw hundreds and hundreds of people every day. Uh, so um, I felt I was drifting pretty hard, not just in our relationship, but my personal walk, my relationship um, with Jesus just was becoming less and less of a priority. So Dara's state of grieving and my unhealthy behaviors as they started to grow, uh, it just kind of grew into behaviors I was not proud of. There was, uh, it led to my first affair with a lady on my route. And that was in 2011, that summer. So we went to counseling, uh, marriage counseling. We found, I mean, it came out, it was very hard to go through that time, especially in our marriage. And we ended up in marriage counseling and it, it worked. It worked for a long time. Um, we got through the, the turmoil and all the, the crisis point in that time, but not really any underlining brokenness was fixed. I mean, there was no real centering back to the foundation of what we needed to be focusing on. We just, it got us through the process. And so, as if grieving for my sister uh, wasn't enough, I kind of had to set that aside to grieve a loss of a marriage that I thought that I had. And um, the years that, when you, when you go through that, you just kind of look back and go, I feel like all the years were a lie. Um, I never really felt far from God. I, I really just moved closer to him because it was, it was all I had. It's like you're standing in a room and everything is stripped away and it's just darkness. That's what it feels like. So I screamed and cried out to God. I leaned on him for wisdom and integrity and strength, and he didn't fail me. So I got us into a counselor. I thought, I need to fix this. Um, we've, we have to fix this, and we have to do it. We have to do it now. And so I called the counselor. I made the appointments. I needed to fix it because it was broken. Um, we, we didn't have a, a community at that time. We had our church community, and we had lots of people who knew us, but we weren't in a connections group at that point. And so um, we had people that came around us, but it was really, 
really lonely time. And, we, and like Dara said, we, we got through the hard time. Um, life got back on track. Uh, Dara and I were close again, and um, it kind of, I guess, as a priority was we needed to get over that versus her grieving her sister. And so life got, got back to normal. Um, time just continued to go on like normal. Nothing really changed other than we were back to good and then um, in June, no, in April of 20, in 2014, just a few years later, I met Greg. Greg was a, um, an employee at a UPS store on the route that I was delivering on when I worked for UPS. And he uh, was a new employee and he was I just a normal guy. So I started talking to him, found out that he was a uh, showing up to work less and less, and so I kept asking, you know, where's the new guy? What's, what's the deal with him? And she said, well, he's sick. So when he would show up, I'd ask him, how, what's going on? He said, I don't know. Well, it turns out he had kidney failure, and he needed another kidney. He needed a new one. Um, so I kept asking questions and made a few phone calls, and so the whole story was God. Um, a lot of prayer, a lot of intentionality, uh, seeking Jesus in a way that I've never done before. And it led me to donate a kidney to almost a total stranger. So in September 21st, a week from today, will be the four-year anniversary of the donation. Uh, Greg's doing great. We're really good friends. Um, that story, the way that our church family gathered around us to raise money and for support and the prayers were were amazing. I mean, it was it was a high for us. I mean, it was a great thing to to partner with, with God in that, in the donation. Um, as being off of work for three months, a lot of the attention, a lot of the affirmation, a lot of God being praised for what was done, uh, as that started to wear off, I went, life got back to normal, we started going back to, to work again, um, and everyone on my route knew what, you know, why I was gone. And so a lot of that attention was there. But as it started to fade, I found myself not okay with all that information and that attention leaving. Um, I found myself drifting again, even harder this time, from the relationship with Dara and the relationship from Jesus. At this time there was uh, kind of a mirrored between the turmoil that we were feeling, mirrored the turmoil maybe that was going on at Coil Springs at our church at the time when we were at the old building. Um, there was just the elders and the leadership and there was some disagreements and, and people were leaving and just a lot of turmoil going on and so it kind of mirrored the way that our marriage was. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about um, just kind of your, your identity, your health, your faith throughout, you know, this whole process and kind of moving forward. What was that like? Um, your identity is just is stripped away. Uh, you feel like, well, I felt like, um, like I, I was replaceable. That um, that I wasn't loved, that 
uh, you know, all those lives come with the, come with that. Um, during that time, uh, we were, you know, we were, we were at the Springs. We didn't know if we wanted to, to stay or not. Um, we, I came into a worship service one day and just, um, was just really upset and just was crying out to God and just saying, what, what do you want from me? What do you want us to do? And I really, really felt him stay, say, stay. And that was kind of the word that I felt that he impressed on me um, during that time. And I didn't know that he was, at that point, giving me kind of my word of the year. Um, and this was all after, um, or after the, t- the kidney donation and um, during that time that we were kind of in turmoil. During that time, there was uh, another affair, and this one happened uh, 2016, early April of 2016-ish, and this one came a little bit more hard, I mean, on Dara and I. I mean, we were at a state where we were broken again, and we didn't know why, and we were just, we were fed up. We were like, this can't keep happening again. I mean, whatever's broke, it's still broke. We didn't fix it the first time. We didn't fix this. Um, so during all of the turmoil, we had a house that we were having built that we had to let go. We needed to stay in our house. We felt that we needed to stay with our church family. And Dara felt that no matter what it was, we needed to stay married. And how that looked, she has a a line, she said, that she felt like God's redemptive, she wanted to be part of God's redemptive story in our marriage and be part of my redemptive story. And I still remember, and how that made me feel when I was at a low point. After the second infidelity was released or discovered, um, in April of 2016, I... uh, I attended my first base camp, which is a men's retreat sponsored or thrown by True North Ministries. And um, we were, we happened to be attending Life Church at the same time for an outlet. And we were there. And turns out I ran into an old friend of mine in the lobby. It just so happens I bumped into him. And he was like, Hey, did you get my text the other day? And I blew it off because I was busy. And um, turns out I got the text and he was mentioning, there's this thing called base camp and you, maybe you should attend. And I said, okay, whatever. And he saw the way that we were hurting and broke and just kind of there. And he said, um, I said, well, when is it? And he goes, well, it's, this is the dates. And I looked at Dara and I knew. I told her, I'm on vacation that week. Like, I've got to go. So I went, and it was, it was foundational in realizing more of what God wanted to tell me and more of what he says, who I am, and the identity I have in him, not what I've done, not the way I act, but it's what he calls me to. And it was huge. It was a big part in my transformation. 
after that, shortly after that, in June of that year, um, Dara and I, she found on the internet, we attended a fair recovery, which is, uh, they lead the nation in a fair recovery work. And they're out of Austin, Texas. So we attended one of their emergency marital seminars. It, it, it was about a year's worth of, of intense marriage counseling, all within two and a half days. And it is all Christian based. It was huge for us. I mean, it was, it really set us on a track to fix brokenness and bring us two closer back together. So after that, um, after the second um, revealing and um, discovery, it, uh, and then going to a fair recovery, there was, a, a, there was disclosure about um, others in the marriage and um, that I didn't know about. And it, um, it kind of helped me to start from, from scratch. Um, I knew that, that I had to forgive. That wasn't a question. Um, the question was whether I was going to stay or go. And I continued to hear God say, stay. Um, just stay. Um, it's kind of a, a story that... So... W- there was the kidney donation um, and then kind of some residual things that happened during the year after uh, Jason and Greg were invited to a Dodgers game to run the bases and kind of and, um, tell their story. And um, we were up in a, um, the, one of the boxes with all the family and, and everything. And during this time, there was still... Um, it was still, the infidelity was still going on. And um, right about the third inning, I, he disappeared, and I went looking for him and found him on a phone that I didn't realize that he had. And I, um, it, <laughs> I went, went She-Hulk, <laughs> as you can imagine, in the middle of this baseball game on the stairs to this the suite with people looking at me going, is she okay? She's starting to turn a little green. <laughs> um, but I, I don't even remember the, the, the trauma that I went through at that point. I, I remember Logan taking Carson down the stairs, and later on I found out that he was calling our friends telling them to pray for us. And um, I told Jason, you know, you have to take me home because I can't drive. Um, so we were on our way home, and I said, well, you can't keep the phone. So I'm either smash it or you need to take it back. So we went to her apartment, um, and we went in. And I was yelling and screaming, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I, I said, I'll just leave you here. It's, it's not, it's fine. I'm, I'm good. I'll leave you here. I'll, I'll go home. And I, and I turned around, and I started to leave. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, is this who you want to be? And I said, right now, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you don't 
this is not the person you want to be. So I turned around, and I looked at this woman who was sitting on her couch, and she was hunched over, and she was crying, and she was broken. And I went over to her, and I sat down, and I told her she was beautiful, and that God loved her, and that she was forgiven. And the Holy Spirit just spoke through me words of prayers over her. And because I knew that not only was I his child, but she was too. And so that was healing for me um, to be able to forgive her right there. And just the power of the Holy Spirit and a testimony to what, how he worked. And it's, it's just amazing because we talk about in this sermon series so much about Jesus meeting us in those most awful moments and I'm struck by the way that not only did the Holy Spirit, did Christ meet you there, but you were his hands and feet of ministry in that moment to someone else as well. Um, and y'all have done so much, I know, um, to help others, and I want to get to that um, in a little bit, but I just want to dwell for a minute on how Christ did bring you through this, this crisis. Um. Well, for me, I just, I, I, ha I clung to him because I just couldn't, there was, I, I didn't know what else to do. I was, I was lost, um, and I just kept hearing stay, and I argued with him a lot, um, but I went to war. I went to war. I was, I was in a spiritual battle, and I was in a physical battle. I actually um, uh, got the signs of PTSD. I couldn't sleep at night. I had night sweats. I was... Um, jerking um, in the middle of the night, waking up, um, anxiety that I had never had before, shaking, and had to work through that as far as my health. And um, so I just, I went to war, and I put sticky notes all up and down my hallway that had scriptures on them and that had um, prayers over my kids and prayers over Jason and... Um, I just, I went to war, and I said, not today, Satan. <laughs> and um, I just, I had, I had to cling to him. That was, it was all I could do. Um, and in the middle of that, Jason was doing the things because it was actions and not words because I couldn't believe anything that he said. He was doing the things that he needed to do for himself to be healthy again. And um, God just said, as long as you can see Christ in him, then you can trust him. And so every day, it was a, it was a forgiveness every day. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It was, every, it was every day. I'm choosing this. I've chosen to forgive. And he was working hard to earn that trust back. So... Preparing for this, knowing we were going to be in front of 250 plus of our closest, most 
known friends, um, a lot of nervousness sets in, a lot of guilt and shame starts to come back. And like we spoke with you when we were at your house, there's asking these questions and going back to this, sometimes it's super hard because we've done a lot of work. I've done a lot to leave that place. I don't, I don't wanna stay there. So trying to recall and remember some of this was hard because that's not who I am anymore. A lot of the things that Dara did to support our marriage when it wasn't much to hang on to was amazing. I mean, the times, I mean, she'd go in there and curl up in a ball and just be in pain. And knowing I caused that was fuel to say, okay, I've gotta, I've gotta do something. I've gotta fix this. Um, a lot of things that, that I did personally, uh, there was about a 30-day window-ish where I was out of the house. And that was shortly, I mean, it was almost immediate after the Dodgers game, after everything blew up the last time. Uh, I was out of the house. I stayed with a couple, I stayed with uh, my brother and his wife for a couple weeks. I stayed with another friend for a couple weeks. And it, it gave me an opportunity to not be on my own, but to do donate and to, to really sit with Jesus. Um, I got up early. I stayed up late. I stayed in one spot. And it gave me a lot of time to think without a lot of external circumstances, moving parts and all the fears of moving around. Um, I started going to a men's group every week, no matter what. And I told my junk, I said, this is why I'm here. This is what I've done. And they met me with understanding. They said, you're okay here. You can be here. And there wasn't the guilt. There wasn't the shame. There wasn't the, you did this. Um, and that gave me basically a, an opportunity to take a step forward and take the next right step and say, okay, I can do this. I can pursue healing because they accept me the way that I was in that moment. Uh, they didn't allow me to stay there, but I continued to grow. Um, so we how, went, oh, go ahead. We went to... Uh, a three-couple, small love and war by John and Stacy Eldridge. We went through a video curriculum with that. We were invited in on that because of what we had been through. Um, we started attending base camp, went to another one or two, and then she attended Changed for the first time during that. Um, we put up a lot of guardrails, some things immediately that we can say, this is off-limits. This is a warning signs. These are actions that are warnings. And then the green light behaviors basically were, in what ways are you actively pursuing improvement with Jesus? Those things are going to keep you away from the warning steps, from the, the red light behaviors, which are going to cause more brokenness. Um, quiet time was something I, I never did until at this point. It was a spiritual discipline that I can't have without anymore. I love getting up early and just being quiet. It gives me a time all by myself, and I allow Jesus to start the day with me off right. And that's something that I did, I started doing at that point immediately. And one thing that really changed for me that helped me do a lot of transformation is I had to come to a point where I couldn't worry about fixing the marriage. I had to let it go. I said, even if we're, whether we're married in six months or not, I have to become healthy. I got to live with myself 
I've got people out there. I've got kids. Like, how do I take the next step, whether we're married or not? So with that being the motivation, instead of trying to fix this, um, really helped make the next right decision easier. All I had to do was the next day, the next right thing, the next right step. And over time, Dara will tell you the trust started to come back. Um, the actions were there. It just wasn't empty words anymore because my, I felt like I was being filled with the opportunity to take the next right, right step the closer I got to Jesus in my quiet time and making the right decisions on, off and on, you know, every day. Um, so that motivation was huge for me to be able to do that. And I had to do my own work. It wasn't, um, he, he can take the infidelity and say, yes, that was all my fault, but I had to do my own work um, and, and go deep into uh, my own healing with God because there was only so much he could do to help me heal. And so I had to do a lot of my own work. Um, I had to learn that, that Jason's not my constant, uh, that Jesus has to be my constant. And um, going to change every season just reminds me of who I am, whose I am, and that my identity is in him and him alone. And um, being able to help these other women who come who might have been or who might be in the same place as I was is just incredible. It's incredible to watch God do the work in them. And there's so much collateral damage that comes from infidelity, but God can make collateral beauty out of it. And you've mentioned, you mentioned a statistic at my house, even something like, I don't know how it was defined, but was it six? Yeah, about 60% of marriages go through infidelity, more than divorce. So talk a bit about the way that, because I know you mentioned the first time was you were at Quail, but you weren't in a connections group, so there were people that did come around you. But talk a little bit about the way, especially the second time, that your connections group, the church in general at large, helped you guys through this. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I would have forgotten because I, I, I can't even express the, the appreciation for our group the second time. They were there. They slept in my bed with me. They chased him. They took him to places he should have been instead of the places he should not have been. Um, they continued to say, we will walk beside you no matter what. And so having a group during that time was just invaluable, invaluable to us. They were there. They took the kids. I mean, just everything. Our connections group was the biggest blessing during one of our worst moments in our marriage. Um, a matter of minutes, they were there. And for me, knowing that I caused this domino effect to start to happen, they didn't leave me alone. They, they were mad, and they were there. And they, I mean, you could see it, but it's exactly what I needed. They said, we're not letting you off the hook. We're not leaving. 
we're going to make sure that you're okay. And the people who love... they took all the guns out of our house. <laughs> yeah. They, they took precautionary measures. <laughs> they were there. The people who loved us the most loved us the most. And if you're not in a group now that you can share your junk and can be received like that, you are missing out. That's the truth. So you all, I know, were supported so much by your group, and now it's just amazing for all of us to see the way that you continue to help so many people. Um, you got, I think when you were, guys were at my house the other night, you got a call from somebody about this very sort of thing. Um, like you said, it's common. Um, and so talk a little bit about the ways um, that you've been able to be ministers of reconciliation now. And also in general for our church, um, it doesn't even have to specifically be marital infidelity, but what's kind of a word, a gospel word that you have to, to leave us with this morning? Um, we get to we get to participate in a fair recovery. We get to go back and we get to be mentor couples. Um, in fact, next weekend that's where we'll be in Austin, and we get to share our story. We get to pray over couples, um, and that is just it's healing every time we get to go. Um, we are a part of Life Church as well, and um, they're so big that there's it's just happening all the time. And, they, and we get calls to talk with couples all the time. The percentage is the same, but 250 versus 16,000 at one campus, it's just more couples. It's more names behind the statistic. And so I, being connected there on the prayer team and being a community leader at Life Church and with the life group team knowing our story and how God has redeemed our marriage, I get phone calls almost daily or texts saying, hey, here's a phone number. They need to talk. Um, and we get the opportunity as a couple to share resources that have been pivotal in our reconciliation and our marriage improving to hear their story, to relate to them, to help them through that process that they're already in. Um, it, it is, it's been helpful for us to be able to help in that way. We, we participate in the re-engage curriculum. Um, we know that, uh, that we do here every spring. Mm -hmm. It's been, uh, Monty and Monima help us with that. It's been big for us to kind of review things in our marriages with other people. What else? I just think that the thing that I would share um, is maybe you have a similar story that your marriage didn't work out. Maybe you had peace about your decision to leave and may, or maybe your spouse made that decision for you. Don't allow Satan to fill your head with why not me. You have a story to tell in your time and space. Your story will touch someone like someone else can't. You are loved by God and you are a gift. And maybe you're still in your marriage that isn't what you want it to be because of past infidelity or just conflicts that you can't resolve. Reach out for help. Don't stay in that place. 
Don't allow Satan to convince you that there's no hope. And for those who have shame and guilt about something you've done, God is holding out his arms to accept you. He loves you. Forgive yourself because he's already forgiven you. Thank you all so much. Let's give them a round of applause. Let's take this moment to pray for you all. God, we give thanks for your powerful salvation at work in the lives of Jason and Dara at work in their family, in Carson and Logan, and we give thanks for the ripples of faithfulness and reconciliation and gospel that have gone out uh, from the work that they've done and the work you've done in them and the work you continue to do through them. Jesus, you are our only foundation. We praise you and give thanks for this testimony to your fidelity and your love. It's in your powerful name that we pray, amen. Give them another round of applause. In Romans chapter three, the apostle Paul writes this beginning in verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. If you've read Romans 3 in almost any other translation, you've probably not heard those last few words. If you can pull that up on the slide again. That so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. You've probably read translations that say, justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And I love this new English translation because there's been a, a strong argument over the last few decades that that preposition of faith in Jesus could just as accurately or maybe more faithfully be translated as the faith of Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus or like the NET, Jesus' faithfulness. And I think that tiny little change of preposition is so powerful uh, because yes, it is our, our faith in Christ by which we're justified. That's true. But it is not our faith doing the heavy lifting of salvation. It is solely the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that saves and redeems us. 
It is the faith of Christ, the faithfulness, the obedience of Jesus Christ. He is the faithful covenant partner. Even in all of our unfaithfulness, all of our infidelity, all of that sin that by which we fall short of God's glory. Jesus is the faithful covenant partner, the Messiah, the one who faithfully represents God to us and faithfully represents us to God. Let's stand and praise together that faithful one, Jesus Christ.